Good morning. Well, it's just a joy to be here as we, um, and what a fantastic uh, time of worshiping, just praising the Lord. Um, this morning, we are, uh, we are concluding the Gospel of Mark. Um, so the next uh, book that we'll go into, or letter, uh, is going to be First John, is what we're going to go into. So next Sunday, we'll be in First John. But today, we're going to conclude, as I said, the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 16. The title of this morning's message is, Just As He Told You, Now Go. Just As He Told You, Now Go. Those are our marching orders to go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And that, that were, those were Jesus' words to his disciples prior to his ascension. And so we're going to learn a little bit about what it means to believe in the word of God and what he tells us. So let's begin by reading Mark chapter 16 and verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that as we study this final chapter in the Gospel of Mark, that you would minister to us. Father, perhaps we have not expressed our love for you with complete devotion and consecration unto you. And because of that, I, I ask, Lord, that you would move in our hearts. That you would help us, Lord, to express our faith knowing that we can completely trust in your word, for your word will never fail us. Let us stand on your promises. Let us walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, proving to you that we, we indeed love you. And we have entrusted our very lives to you, our eternal destination, Lord, we have placed in your hands knowing that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so let us walk accordingly that we may reflect that gratitude and that faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so, Father, help us to see the contrast between the disciples before the resurrection and after the resurrection, that perhaps in our very own lives you would resurrect a faith that needs to be alive and well and active. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Missionary C.T. Studd said this, quote, Difficulties, dangers, disease, death, or divisions don't deter any but chocolate soldiers from executing God's will. When someone says there is a lion in the way... The real Christian promptly replies, that's hardly enough inducement for me. I want a bear or two besides to make it worth my while to go, close quote. 
I, as I have studied the life of C.T. Studd, I, I often ask myself, as I consider him and others that are considered heroes of the faith, where do these men get such courage to serve Jesus in such a manner, even at the expense of life and limb? Where do they get such faith? Where do they get such courage? Well, we know the answer is this. It is because of the example of his commander, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem and Calvary to give his life as a sacrifice to fulfill the Father's will. You see, his eyes, and all of those that we consider to be heroes of the faith, had their eyes fixed on one, not anyone else, not their circumstances, that's for sure, but only one. For he has given us the perfect example to follow. In Mark chapter 10, verse 32, it says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. You see, this was the third time that Jesus had told his disciples the very same thing. What was going to happen to him in Jerusalem? Notice, as we read those few verses, the position of Jesus. He was leading them from the front, not trailing them. Notice that Jesus was knowingly going to his death, his torture, his humiliation. Notice that Jesus was willingly fulfilling the Father's will. That was what he was here to do, fulfill the Father's will. But also notice those who were trailing behind. They were both amazed and filled with fear. These were his disciples, those closest to him, those that have seen his miracles, how it is that he has spoken truth, interpreted the scriptures, claimed to be the Son of God. These were the very men who were trailing him and were one amazed, and number two, they were afraid. Well, C.T. Studd's eyes were not fixed upon the disciples, justifying why it was that he was not going to do something. His eyes were looking beyond those disciples. His eyes were fixed on the one who was leading them, going to fulfill the Father's will. His example was Jesus Christ, and his eyes were fixed on him, that is whom C.T. Studd was emulating, was imitating in his very own life. This is the example that caused C.T. Studd to give his life completely to the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was absolutely at his own expense. He was willing to do that. Lay down his life for the sake of the gospel. We have others. The Apostle Paul was also of this conviction. In fact, he wrote two-thirds. He was used by God to write two-thirds of the New Testament. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, it says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, 
I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. That was the same perspective, the same attitude that C.T. Studd had as he fixed his eyes on the Lord. Glory awaited him, but he knew his purpose in that moment. It was for the furtherance of the gospel, and it was for the benefit of the saints. That was it. You wonder what your purpose as a Christian is. That's it. For the furtherance of the gospel and for the benefit of the saints. There is no other way to be a blessing in the world, to the world, unless you are completely consecrated unto the Lord in that manner. Are you a chocolate soldier? Or are you a hero of the faith? You think about the contrast of the ones who were trailing Jesus in that moment, amazed and afraid. After the resurrection, all of the apostles were of the same conviction as we see in the, the apostle Paul. Many of the followers of Christ throughout history that were completely committed and devoted and set aside for God's purpose to further the gospel and to be a blessing to the saints were the same way. They were willing to give themselves completely. And the question is, again, we ought to always ask ourselves is why? The apostles and all the other disciples of Christ abandoned Jesus just prior to his crucifixion. When he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, we've learned about this on the Mount of Olives. What happened? Where were all the apostles? Where were all the disciples that were, that were swearing an allegiance to Jesus Christ, especially Peter? Gone, right? It all scattered. Many left Jesus even prior to that when he started teaching those things that were very difficult to receive. In other words, they weren't willing to receive them. You know, some people leave following the Lord when it just gets too difficult. Man, I was good. I was good up until he said that. And man, now I learned that. And that's too difficult. That's too hard. That involves a complete sacrifice of me. Listen, we're no different than these people that we read about. But it should serve to teach us, to help us understand that their hindsight is our foresight. We're blessed by these words that on the pages of the Bible, Scripture, God's very breath. So we need to look at the contrast. What changed? What made the difference? And there's one thing that made all the difference to those people and to us today. The empty tomb. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because you see, the resurrection proved that everything Jesus said was true. Everything. Therefore, as they believed, they willingly entrusted their entire lives to the one who saves. They held nothing back at that point. It was just as he had told them. That's why as we were worshiping, I was deeply ministered to as we were singing, You are the way and the truth. I was thinking, yes, you, you are, Lord. You are the only way. You are the truth. You know, in Hebrews 7.25, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who, are, who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
You know, I believe that this is a big reason why many people do not give themselves entirely to being governed by God's word. And perhaps what is holding you back from completely trusting God with your life completely. Maybe you've acknowledged, but you don't fully believe. That's why, by the way, I'm, I am leery of, I, I don't ever want to give someone the impression that just by giving some emotional stirring at times and giving you a few verses and you praying a prayer that, that I can assure you, there's no way I can assure you of salvation. Too many people are walking around not expressing salvation. Not, not proving by their lives that they belong to the Lord. I would much rather know that sometime later that in your seat you completely gave yourself to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And later on, you, you, as, as we see fruit come about in your own life, as you give yourself to, to reading the Word, studying the Word, to serving God, and then you come back later and say, you know, I, I surrendered my life about three months ago, four months ago. I would much rather see that. Honestly, and for me to lead you in some prayer and then give you the false assurance that you are saved. Because there are many people that declare with their mouth, but their heart is far from God. I, I, I can't do that. You need to know in your own heart. I pray that you would confess and repent genuinely. And when you give your life entirely to God, oh, it will be apparent. There will be no doubt about it. It won't be just a, a momentary change. It will be a lifelong change because you are truly a new creature in Christ. You will have new, a new desire to please and honor the Lord. And you will want to walk with him and you will love the fellowship of the saints. You will, you will desire those things. Because what we have here is, is a lack of understanding between the disciples prior to the resurrection and the disciples after the resurrection. Many have yet to believe the gospel in its entirety. Oh, you want to be relieved, saved from the consequences of your sins. Who wouldn't want to be, right? And yet, at the same time, the one who you call Savior, you cannot possibly utter the word Lord because you refuse to be governed by his word. He's either Lord of all or not at all. That's the difference, though. It's belief, complete surrender. 1 Corinthians 15, 14 says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. In vain. But when a person does believe, there is a departure from the person they used to be. You see, that old person is dead. You reckon that person dead because he is dead. We are alive in Christ. And we walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, looking to the author and perfecter of our faith. And when that happens, we know we belong to Jesus, our Savior and Lord, and we live our lives for his glory with eternal gratitude for what Jesus did on our behalf to save us by his grace through faith in him. Even as we came up to take of the elements, right? As we take the, the cracker and we dip it into the juice, we are remembering the sacrifice of the Father as He gave His Son on our behalf. And the Son willingly went to the cross and gave His life on our behalf. 
we consider those things, it should be humbling. It should be, there should be a brokenness that overtakes us to the point to where we confess, Lord, please help me in this moment. I ask, Lord, that you would forgive me of my sins. Lord, I do not want to partake of these elements without regarding you. Can I ask you a question? What, what were the disciples, as we go back to Mark 16, what were the disciples expecting to find in the tomb? They were expecting to find a dead Jesus, right? That's what they were expecting. See, as we read, we realize that these three women were clearly expecting to find the body of Jesus. Therefore, they, were, they obviously did not believe that Jesus was going to resurrect. You're not looking for something that you believe is not there. They respected and loved Jesus when he was with them. But they did not believe what he had told them regarding his resurrection. So what they demonstrated was not a faith, but their unbelief. By bringing spices, they shouldn't have gone. Why, why did they go buy spices? Why did they go to the tomb? They were demonstrating their unbelief by bringing spices to anoint Jesus' body for burial at the very earliest possible time after the Sabbath. The Sabbath ended on Saturday when the sun went down, but it was dark. And so they waited until the early light the next day, the first day of the week. And they brought the spices. They came very early. And on that day, they were walking to the tomb and they were even wondering, who's gonna roll that stone back? It's very heavy. It's interesting that's inserted in there to help us understand they weren't going to be able to move that stone. It was going to require some strong men to push, to roll that stone away. And of course, to their surprise, the stone had already been rolled back. And they saw what was described as a young man sitting down, you know, white robe, They were both frightened and concerned. Why were they frightened and concerned? Again, they were expecting the dead body of Jesus to be in there. Who took the body of Jesus? Because remember, they were coming to anoint the body. They did not believe Jesus was raised from the dead. So they were expecting a dead Jesus, but they were shown an empty tomb. In verse 6, as they continue, and he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So they were shown an empty tomb. The stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could come out. The stone, he was already out. The stone was rolled away so that the world can look in there and see he is not there. So now what? You thought you were coming to see a dead Jesus to anoint him. But the angel shows you an empty tomb. Now what? Well, Jesus had already told them when he was raised from the grave that he would meet them in Galilee. You know, you, these are the things that we ought to think about. Whenever we come to a place to where our own practical thinking fails us again. We have to think in that moment, what has he already told me? What is in scripture? Because in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, this is what he had already said. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. 
For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. At that very moment, perhaps it would have been good for someone to remember that. Very words of the one who was missing. So what's next? Well, the women were the ones that were there. The women were to go tell Jesus' disciples, as they were told, that the tomb is empty. Speak what the angel has spoken to you. Just go tell them. There you will see him just as he told you. You know, this is good for us to, you know, as we minister to one another, you know, we can't do anything good in and of ourselves. When someone needs counsel, we can simply point to God's word and just say, you know, this is what he said. This is what we are to do and stand on, believe in, walk in. And Jesus said, made sure that they understood, hey, listen, go, go tell my disciples. This is what I want you to tell them. There you will see him, just as he told you. It's quite simple, right? His promises are, we sing it. Yes and amen, right? So these women, they, um, it says that they went out and fled. In other words, they, they took off, Right? They like they left just like that from the empty tomb with fear filled with because this is what had overtaken them. What had seized them is fear and anxiety, nervousness and concern. Kind of like having at that point, you can imagine the willies, the heebie-jeebies. You know, you're running away and you're like, I don't know, I don't know what to think, right? <laughs> I don't know, Mary. You know, Salom, what do you? I hate. Listen, let's just go. Let's just tell all the disciples what we've seen and heard, and we're going to report to them. And I mean, how would you be feeling in that moment? I think the same way, right? But they did what they were told to do. In Luke chapter 24, verse 1, to get... Dr. Luke's perspective on this, as the Lord had given us the gospel through this instrument, that is Luke. It says in Luke chapter 24, verse 1, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And that was Mary, Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. Just marveling. Notice that he went home. Capernaum. Peter did not go to Galilee. He, he, went, he went home. He did not go to the place where Jesus had told him to go. Listen, if they expected Jesus to be raised, then no one would have been alarmed and no one would have run to the grave. They'd be in Galilee just as he had told them, go. Now, I was thinking about I don't know, I had heard this before and I thought, this is, this is brilliant. Right, uh, person was con was uh, on trial for murder, and it was the prosecutor that thought of a of a good way of 
bring about a conclusion to the trial. And so he announced to the court that he had a surprise. The body of the person who had allegedly been murdered was, was not found, was, was never produced. But what he said is, at this moment, I believe that we'll bring a conclusion to this whole matter. Because in a few moments, the person who is supposedly deceased will walk through those doors. And in that moment, the whole court, everyone, as it was all quiet, all eyes were on that door, expecting someone to walk through those doors. Well, some time went by and nobody came in. The prosecutor came back up before the judge and the people. And he said, if you notice, no one came through those doors. But also notice that everyone looked at those doors, except for the one who has been accused of murder. Why? Because he knew that that person was not going to walk through those doors. He is the murderer. Do we have a conviction about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Although we, we celebrate an empty tomb, are we like Mary Magdalene? Mary, the mother of Joseph and Salome, are we like them going to the tomb and looking? Perhaps he's in there. No, he's not here. We're sure of that. He's risen. He's alive. Well, let's continue with this because there's more to it. You see, at this point, the disciples were still, still in unbelief. They were told of Jesus' resurrection. And verse 9 says, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been sent, seen by her, they would not believe it. Verse 12, After these things he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. According to John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, Mary Magdalene stood weeping outside the empty tomb because the body of Jesus was missing. But Jesus himself appeared to her, but at first she mistook him for the gardener. Weeping, crying, wondering what they had done with the body of Jesus. And Jesus appears to her. And he asks, what have you done? What have you done with him? Where, where have they taken him? And then Jesus speaks her name. And she realizes it was him. It was then that she ran and told the disciples. What were the disciples doing? They were in mourning. They were weeping. Even though Jesus had told them multiple times that he would be raised from the grave after three days. Mary told them what she saw, what she was told, and who she saw, who appeared to her. They were behaving, they were expressing themselves in stark contrast to standing on the promises of God. Were they not? We are inclined to do the very same thing. We need nothing more than the word of God. In that time when we are downcast, when we, were, we are uh, just not in our right minds and for so many reasons, it doesn't matter what. Whether it be being overwhelmed at work, in your marriage, with your kids, it, it doesn't matter with what. If we are expressing anything other than a trust and faith in God then we are behaving in a way that is contrary to the one who walks by faith and trusting in the word of God, who trusts him at his word. 
Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yeah, but I'm not at rest right now. Exactly, because you haven't gone to Jesus. Yeah, I, I just seem like, it seems like I'm all over the place. Yeah, because you have not allowed Christ to put that yoke on you, for his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. It, it, it's as simple as that. Brothers and sisters, it's as simple as that. It's because you remain in your own mind and in your own thoughts and you have not submitted them to the authority of God and his word and subjected, it, subjected those thoughts to the governance of God according to his word. Because these disciples were mourning and weeping. You see, we're going to see completely different disciples, apostles, after they believe in his resurrection. Completely different. It doesn't matter what comes their way. They're willing to die. So that, that should speak to all of us, helping us understand at some point, we should be unfazed, unmoved. We should be able to stand fast with the Lord. What moved us before doesn't move us today. Do we think about those things? Yes, but above all, we think about God's word and how to apply it. Above all. But even upon hearing, as we continue with these disciples that, that were unbelieving, even upon hearing, they would not believe it as we read. Not only did Mary Magdalene tell them, but there were two other men who told the disciples about the risen Christ. They were these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, which is covered in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27, we won't read the whole thing, but this is what it says. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, the Lord had put a veil over their eyes. They could not recognize who he was. He played along and told them, hey, why are you guys so downcast? What's going on? Are you the only one here in, in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's, what's happening in all Israel? He says, well, tell me what, what's happened, right? So they were down because of Jesus' crucifixion. So what were they expecting? A dead Jesus, right? And here he is alive walking with them. Oh, all right. Beginning with Moses, let's be in here. Let's open up the scriptures here, shall we? Let's begin with Moses. And all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. We'll learn in a few moments why it was really, it wasn't that. There was another reason why they wanted him to stay, stay, stay with us. right? So he went to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. That's why they were asking him to say, we want to hear more. Our hearts were burning within us because they didn't care about the dark. Hey, they ran back to Jerusalem at that very hour in the dark. The resurrection of Jesus will change your life. You won't care. You will proclaim from the rooftops, Jesus is alive and he is the only way to the Father. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And you will run in the dark. You will do things that you wouldn't have previously done. It's a beautiful life of an expressed faith in Jesus Christ. And you want everyone to know.
The disciples were all told of these things, though. Coming back to the disciples. That's, that's who we want to see. Still, when these two men came and told him, Mary Magdalene had already told him. Didn't believe her. It was like a fable, an idle tale. These two men came. Didn't believe them either. But then Jesus appears to them. And he rebukes them for their unbelief. Verse 14 says, Afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. As Jesus appeared to the eleven disciples, he did not coddle them by telling them, that, Hey, listen, I understand your unbelief. Why it is that you, you wouldn't, you'd have doubt. I understand. He didn't do that, did he? He didn't coddle them at all. Here's Jesus. He didn't take them in his arms and start rocking them, right? He didn't do that. He didn't comfort them in their distress. We're, we're, we're mourning. We're grieving. We're, we're, we're so like surprised right now. Jesus says, no, wake up. What you're doing is you're expressing uh, an unbelief that's actually sin. He rebuked them for their unbelief and number two, their hardness of heart. Why? Listen, I sent you Mary. You didn't believe her. I sent you two that you knew to be my disciples, and you didn't believe them either. How many people does the Lord have to send you before you finally just surrender, believe him at his word? How many things do you have to experience before you, you realize that his word truly is yes and amen? At some point, we have to say, you know what? I believe you at your word. I'm going to walk it out. Why? Because I have the assurance of my salvation in Christ, and I'm going to live for his glory and his glory alone. Because Jesus came and he rebuked them for the, their unbelief and hardness of heart because they didn't believe the people that he had sent to them that he was resurrected, he's alive. Just as he had told them that he was going to rise from the grave. See, they needed to learn that God's word is sure. Nothing more is needed to act with confidence in its fulfillment. Nothing more. They needed to express faith in God's word, unwavering, un, uh, unwavering belief in the words that Jesus had told them. And then Jesus immediately gives them a command. He goes from that to, hey, listen, no time to waste. Rebuke them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. And he says, here's the commission that I'm giving to you. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. We see also that command as it is written out in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. So jot that down and you can go to it. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, gives us a great commission which we are all familiar with. As Jesus said to them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That commission, that is the great commission. It's not the great suggestion. It is a command that he has given to every single follower of Jesus Christ. To faithfully walk out. Each and every one of us. Now whoever believes and is baptized. To declare they have died in Christ and resurrected with him to, to new life. Those are the ones that know salvation. The emphasis though is not on baptism but on belief. Baptism simply being an outward expression of an inward reality. 
of identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so it's not to be taken lightly, but we know baptism doesn't save. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not by works lest any man should boast. It doesn't include in their baptism. But again, baptism is also not to be taken lightly, for it is a command of God, and so therefore we ought to willfully and joyfully Take part in baptism as soon as possible. Why wait? There are lakes. There's an ocean not too far from here. And people have pools. Why wait? Genuine belief, you see, results in action. John 14, 15, Jesus put it very simply, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Key, not burdensome. Therefore, if they believed, then they were commanded to go to the world to proclaim the gospel, because God wishes that no one should perish. This is knowing God's will, but that all would reach repentance and believe in the salvation of Jesus Christ, according to 2 Peter 3.9. As they go out and do this, Jesus told them that these signs would follow. Verse 17 says, And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Please note that these signs follow. They do not precede. They follow. That's what he was telling them. Demons are cast out. People are delivered from possession and oppression. Demonic possession and oppression. The same is true of today. Some believers do have the gift of tongues, but it is not a confirmation of salvation. For all do not have the gift of tongues. But some will. And it'll accompany. We need to also consider Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon fashioned against you shall succeed. Including that snake that bit Paul on the island of Malta. That was proof. This is one of those things to where, hey, listen. Y'all have heard the fact that, did you know that you are, you are immortal until the point that God calls you home? There you are indestructible until that point that God calls you home. No one is greater than God at the appointed moment that God calls you home. That is the moment that you are going home, not, any, not one second before. Not one second before. Many were healed and are healed today. We see this, we saw this with the apostles then and we see it Today, amongst the church, I have seen people be healed. It's quite interesting how it is that, wow, there was this, but now it's no longer there. Does he do it with everyone? No. God is sovereign. So we, leave, we put it in his hands. You see, we pray completely different when we, when we know God's will, when we understand, hey, he chooses to heal some and not others. That's fine. The most important thing is that you belong to him and know salvation in Jesus Christ. That's the most important thing. You see, these things were promised to the disciples, divine power and protection, and so it was. But then they were moved to go and preach. Verse 19 says, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Jesus had revealed himself and commanded his disciples to go proclaim the gospel, and then he ascended into heaven. Again, it, Jesus did not spend much time with them. They were filled with fear. They were mourning. They were grieving. Hey, snap out of it. I'm right here. You guys, you guys are in sin. You guys didn't believe me, and I told you over and over and over again. And you even hardened your heart after being told, 
you are reminded of what I told you. And even dismissed the word that the people gave, testifying that I was alive. You, you completely dismissed it. Then he said, go and make disciples of all nations. So lead them to salvation, teach them, and make sure that they learn how to obey. Baptize them. And he said, I'm out. Right? I will come back. But he ascended. After 40 days of meeting, meeting with his disciples, he ascended. That was it. But one day he will come, he will come back. And for them, that was enough. That was it. At that point, they, they saw. And they felt. They listened to, spent time with the resurrected Jesus that even broke bread with them. The Spirit cannot do that. Our God is alive and well. Do you believe that? One day we will see him in all of his glory. C.H. Spurgeon said this, I do want you all to feel that it is not the end, though it may be the beginning of Christian life to come and hear sermons. Scatter as widely as you can the blessing which you get for yourself. The moment you find the light and realize that the world is in the dark, run away with your match and lend somebody else a light. It's one thing to come and to hear and be equipped and grow in your faith. It's quite another to go and do something about it. Doubt, rebuked, and then sent. John 20, 20, 29 says, Jesus said to, to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Speaking to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Doubt and unbelief are unfortunately common. But what do you do when you are told and shown that God's word is as he has spoken? It is true. Rebuked, why would Jesus have such sharp disapproval and criticism for their unbelief? Because it's sin. And he desired that they believe and so be saved and express faith in his word through their action. And then they were sent. You see, the Great Commission is for all who believe to fulfill. And we do so willingly and with great joy because we too desire to see more people come to salvation in Jesus Christ. I asked at the very beginning about C.T. Studd, where this man got such courage to serve Jesus in such a manner, even at the expense of life and limb. And it is because his eyes were fixed on the one who perfectly fulfilled the will of the Father, even going to the cross. And I want to read to you this in closing. I'll leave it up here also. This is a, a great book, C.T. Studd, the, Choc the Chocolate Soldier. And uh, it'll make sense as I read through. The Chocolate Soldier. Heroism is the lost cord, the missing note of present-day Christianity. Every true soldier is a hero. A soldier without heroism is a chocolate soldier who has not been stirred to scorn and mirth at the very thought of a chocolate soldier. In peace, true soldiers are captive lions fretting in their cages. War gives them liberty and sends them, like boys bounding out of school to obtain their heart's desire or perish in the attempt. Battle is a soldier's vital breath. Peace turns him into a stooping asthmatic War makes him a whole man again and gives him the heart, strength, and vigor of a hero. Every true Christian is a soldier of Christ, a hero par excellence, braver than the bravest, scorning the soft seductions of peace and her oft-repeated warnings against hardship, disease, danger, and death, whom he counts among his bosom friends. The other Christian is a chocolate Christian, dissolving in water and melting at the smell of fire, Sweeties they are, bonbons, lollipops. Living their lives on a glass dish or in a cardboard box, each clad in his soft cloth clothing, 
a, a little frilled white paper to preserve his dear little delicate constitution. Here are some portraits of chocolate soldiers taken by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He said, I go, sir, and went not. He said he would go to the heathen, but he stuck fast to Christendom instead. They say and do not. They tell others to go and yet do not go themselves. Never, said General Gordon to a corporal, as he himself jumped upon the parapet of a trench before Sebastopol to fix a gabion, which the corporal had ordered a private to fix and would not fix himself. Never tell another man what to do, what you are afraid to do yourself. To the chocolate Christian, the very thought of war brings violent attack of agui. agui. While, that's an old word. While the call to battle always finds him with palsy. In other words, he's um, shaking with fear. I really cannot move. He says, I only wish I could, but I can sing. And here are some of my favorite lines. This is, again, coming from a man who gave his entire life to the service of the Lord. May we come somewhere close to this. But he says, for the chocolate soldier, this is his favorite song. I must be carried to the skies on flowery bed of ease. Let others fight to win the prize or sail through bloody seas. Mark time, Christian heroes, never go to war. Stop and mind the babies playing on the floor. Wash and dress and feed them 40 times a week till they're roly-poly puddings, so to speak. The chorus is this, round and round the nursery, let us ambulate. Sugar and spice and all that that's nice must be on our slate. Thank the good Lord, said a very fragile white-haired lady, God never meant me to be a jellyfish. She wasn't. God never was a chocolate manufacturer and never will be. God's men are always heroes in Scripture. You can trace their giant foot tracks down the sands of time. The question is, will our footprints be included? Father, we ask that you would help us Lord, to truly not only just speak, declare, confess that we believe, but I ask, Lord, that our very lives would prove that we believe. That you are able to save to the uttermost. Lord, that you, are in, you intercede on our behalf. That we owe our entire lives to you. And we give our lives to you willfully, joyfully, and completely being consecrated unto you. So, Father, for whoever this morning who believes that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that there is salvation in no one else, that today they not only confess with their mouths that Jesus was crucified for their sin, buried, and was resurrected as justification. Lord, but that that would be expressed by our actions. That we would not only confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, but then prove it by the way we live our lives. That we, we may be truly a people that can be counted upon. And Lord, there would be no question to you, to us, and to others that we belong to you. So Father, if there's conviction this morning, Lord, I ask that that, that conviction would turn into confession and repentance. And a cry to Jesus as Lord and Savior. That you would make that person a new creature in Christ. That you would give them a new heart, new desire, new purpose, and Lord, an eternal address in your glory. And I pray for the church that you would help us to stand 
Lord, to walk confidently before you and serve you as living sacrifices, completely devoted to your glory. Lord, as you send us, may we say, here I am, send me, and be willing to walk that out. So, Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love, and thank you for your grace expressed through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.